Well, hello there. Welcome to Some Thoughts with Sura. This is your host, Sura Hertzberg. It is a beautiful day here in San Francisco. This weekend it rained crazy, crazy. This deluge. Um, And I was driving from Davis, California to here, back to the city. The car was rattling and you could just see the rain coming like sideways in sheets. And in the road, there were these huge puddles you drove through. They splashed all around the car. And it felt quite apocalyptic. And I was thinking about our relationship with nature. I know I spoke about that a little bit last time. I've been reflecting on what I said and if I feel like it still fits my current idea of how we are in the world. And the fact that we are constantly interacting with nature and don't think about it like that. We're breathing air and we're being touched by the sun or the wind or It depends on what you categorize as nature. Technically, it's all all natural. It all comes from these elements we've built and destroyed and created and recreated. But the fact is, matter can't be created or destroyed. It can just be shifted into different forms. So if that's true, Everything that exists is everything that will ever exist and has ever existed. And that's kind of a trip, right? Like it's kind of a, a cool, trippy thing to think about. I'm putting my hand here on the wall of my recording studio and just thinking about the, the vibrations and the, the elemental essence of this. We think of this as being, you know, like solid and um, not having any life inside of it. But in fact, everything has these particles that have space and um, deteriorate over time and have a life cycle in that sense. In my meditation the other day, I was... um, speaking with some people after my meditation. I join a, a group, a sangha, um, which is virtual right now. And I we do these breakout rooms and have conversations. And someone was asking this question of like, what is alive? Like what counts as being life? And my meditation teachers kind of talked about how there's many ideas of this and people have answered this question in different ways. But I think it's a really powerful question when we're thinking about this. 
about our interaction with nature, about our relationship with the world outside of us. And being caught in this storm and being shook to the core and just, you know, soaked through. Or for example, mine, mine didn't go out, but I know a lot of power went out across the West Coast, across the country, and think that there's been lots of storms. I know as of re- recently, but also, you know, um, this last year has been huge. And... We have this illusion of safety or of shelter, and it's comfortable. It's very safe. It feels very good to go in from being out in that kind of storm into your home and turn the heater on and cuddle up under a blanket. There's something that they call the window of tolerance, and I've been learning about it in a trauma context And the window of tolerance is this place between which you can handle and process your physical and emotional states and environment. And if you are pushed above or below this threshold you go into hyper or hip arousal. Hyper arousal being um, when your sympathetic nervous system is heightened and your heart rate goes up and your eyes tighten and um, you go into fight or flight response. Or hip arousal, which is when you go into modes like dissociation and the freeze response. And I think that I didn't talk about this so much, but I feel like culturally we have predetermined windows of tolerance. Right? Like we have these kind of spaces that we live in that feel particularly safe and comfy, and that versus that feel, um, you know, dangerous in one way or another. And I think we even have cultural sort of trauma responses as well. I was just watching a um, a video of an interview between Gisele Fernandez, who teaches at CIIS, and Rick Doblin, who also teaches at CIIS. I think I think he's part of the um, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy certification program, and he founded Maps, um, and he was saying. What if we could live in a trauma-neutral way? That we're not causing trauma. We're not, you know, we're, we're processing and digesting, but not causing new trauma in the world. And that we have this capacity as humanity right now and as, as you know, these big 
Western and otherwise cultures, not just Western culture, to cause so much harm and trauma in the world? And what if by relating to spirituality or expanding our minds and consciousness, we can digest and process some of the collective trauma and find ways to neutralize our own production of trauma in the world. And I thought this was a beautiful concept. For sure, there's some spiritual bypassing and, you know, cultural um, inadequacies thinking about um, you know, survival and how we actually like can and need to operate in the world every day. Um, and you know, who has access to these kinds of journeys, especially in this moment and especially how we're going forward with psychedelic therapy and, as a medicine or as medicines. But I'll put that on hold for a second because I think that's very important to talk about. But this idea of of going about your day and working to process trauma and not create more. And I think that that goes, you know, on, on these three levels. or There's more than three, but, you know, the three I'm thinking of right now are for the self. Right? Like maybe a little Tonglen exercise, like breathing in your own suffering and just breathing out love and compassion to yourself. And you could start there, just breathing in places that you feel powerless or uncomfortable physically, emotionally, you feel distressed. And breathing out like boundless wisdom and compassion and curiosity. And one thing that Joel and Michelle Levy, my teachers, have talked about is if it feels too much to, to, to translate and process within your own self, picturing a energy body, a light body of, of an essence of pure compassion and love and boundless wisdom that's either holding, touching your, your heart on the back, let's say, or that you're sitting in their lap, like sitting in the lap of the Buddha. And you, utilizing their boundless capacity for transformation and energy, um, to, to breathe into their hand or breathe into the space that they're holding behind you or with you and allowing their heart and their boundless capacity and their light to transform this information into the love that you then breathe out. And so I like to think of these layers as first the self, and then next would be 
like your family and immediate people that you connect with and pass on the street. And when I'm thinking about what Rick, Rick Doblin was saying about being trauma neutral, that's where my mind goes first and foremost. I don't know. I'm sure that this is a shared experience to some extent, but the way that I grew up in Portland was very like you smile at people on the street and maybe give a wave or whatever. Um, but you, you know, are pretty present with in this relational context. And it can be hard. I mean, it can feel very anxiety provoking. You smile at somebody when they're a block away, then do you keep looking at them? Do you smile again? Do you wave? Do you cross the street? There's this interesting dynamic of how do I be embodied and present with myself and with this stranger, this oncomer in a way that, that, you know, is generous and compassionate, but it isn't draining. It isn't, you know, just a net anxiety, um, draw. And then I moved to New York and then I moved to Berlin and had, you know, a lot of traveling experiences and have, have explored a lot of different cultures. Um, and the way that that smiling at people on the street or how you connect with a stranger is so different culture by culture. And I remember... I can't remember where I was. Maybe, I mean, it must have been New York, but it was like the first time that I was like, oh, I don't have to look at you in the eyes. I don't have to smile at you. I can just look down at the ground and like not have any interaction with you. Wow. And it's really empowering, interestingly. And then at some point, I've noticed myself just missing it and craving it. And, you know, testing the waters and smiling at someone and sometimes receiving it back. But when you don't, it's so, you know, there's a devastation feeling. There's a sadness to the non-reciprocal nature of love and compassion at times. And so this is where my mind goes. And through the years, I've, you know, taught myself how to, how to hold my own energy when I'm, I'm doing these just very small interactions with others, with strangers and coming at it from a place of, you know, wanting to share your light and love and, not needing anything from this other person and also not worrying about their experience. Um, but just radiating, you know, like just radiating and in the context of getting it reciprocated again, not needing their, their response. Um, but also not, not taking on their response. You know, they might smile, they might look away, they might wave at you. In my neighborhood, I live in the Mission in San Francisco, and people often 
wave at me. Like, I'll, I'll start with a smile and they'll keep it going, you know, and then you'll say hello and they'll say, how's your day going? You know, and it can also ramp up. There's also an element of, um, of the, the like compassion escalator, you know, you sort of like start off with one thing and all of a sudden you're, you're going up it and that can feed you, that can, that can re-energize you and it can, it can, ignite you also to then have more abundance and resources to share with other people. Um, And then this third level, so the self and then the immediate, you know, I think of the immediate community as being more of people that you do know, your family, your, your sort of contacts. But I think that people that you touch um, energetically, people that are in your kind of context, maybe your city, maybe your field, um, uh, maybe even your country, for example, but, you know, sort of, I don't know where you draw those lines particularly, or if it's necessary to do so, but people that you have a kind of direct, you know, one degree of separation, not, not necessarily knowing, but one degree of sort of, you have a shared thing. Um, And then this third level I think of is like all of humanity and, um, you know, sort of breathing in the collective suffering and trauma and breathing out love and compassion and care for the whole of humanity. And that can deepen into, you know, all sentient beings or into the earth or wherever you want to go with that, our planet. And, and further and further and, um, you know, consciousness and energy bodies and you can, you can tap into a kind of way of connecting that allows you to see that we're not really that different and that we're not really alone. And in terms of the psychedelic experience, they talk a lot about, you know, psychedelics being a catalyst for this kind of thinking. And I think that's beautiful and very true. And it's more than that. It's a, it's a processing space and it's a way to, again, not for everybody. And I, I am want to precaution this is I'm talking about my own experience right now and I have, you know, some expertise, but I'm building them and growing that. So again, this is where I'm at. And from that space, I can say that it's a, it's a tool. Psychedelics can be in a really beautiful addition to this kind of means of processing and ways of being in consciousness and reality. Not a substitute but an additional 
toy or party or, um, you know, or, or more professionally scientific adaptogen. Yeah, there's a lot of like self-care and self-love and generosity to the self that I think is really important to predate a lot of this. There's this kind of self-love and self-awareness and self-care and desiring to care for the self that I think can predate a lot of this. And, and that can be found through the, the love of others or through the love of the earth or through this connectivity. It's not one or the other. Um, I did a eco-sexual sidewalk sex clinic at City Lights the other day with Annie Sprinkle and Beth Stevens. And I was a eco-sex clinician conversing about what that means. And I think that for me, that fits really in here with this dynamic and conversation, which is ecosexuality as a specific concept or, you know, way of living is one avenue to this. And ecosexuality, I would say, um, is essentially a way of seeing the earth instead of as a mother who gives and you take from and in this kind of hierarchical relationship, rather seeing the earth as a lover, that you have a reciprocity, that you have reciprocity and a reciprocal relationship with that, that, that gives and takes and that you give and take to and within that the eroticism and the sexuality is is you know fun and playful and an added component and i think that being an ecosensualist or being somebody who you know draws from nature to ground yourself to find yourself present in the world and in the context of reality is is vital and is not just one step on the way to being ecosexual, but rather is an incredibly important part of this. And if this doesn't quite make sense to you, go look up Annie Sprinkle and Beth Stevens' work, Ecosexuality, and I can just read this. This is on the wall of my studio right now. This is something that they've written about being ecosexual. And I can share it with you. It says, it's called 25 Ways to Make Love to the Earth. Tell the earth I love you. I can't live without you. At first, you may feel embarrassed to be lovers with the earth. Relax. Let it go. It's okay. Spend time with her. Ask her what she likes, wants, and needs then try and give it to her. Massage the earth with your feet. 
admire her views often, circulate erotic energy with him, smell her, taste her, touch her all over, hug and stroke his trees, talk dirty to her plants, swim naked in their waters, lay on top of her or let her get on top of you, do a new dance for her, sing to her, kiss and lick her, bury parts of your body deep inside his soil, plant your seeds in her, love her unconditionally even when she's angry or cruel, keep them clean, please recycle, work for peace, bombs really hurt. If you, seeing her, if you see her being abused, raped, exploited, protect her as best as you can. Protect their mountains, waters, and sky. Vow to love, honor, and cherish the earth until death brings you closer together forever. Hmm. Wow, I feel so much calmer right now. I wonder how you're feeling. Maybe take a second and check in with yourself. How are you feeling right now? Emotionally, physically? Can you sense any part of your body that feels really, really good? Can you sense an emotion that is calling you right now and stands out? Hmm. Okay, my lovelies, I'm going to leave you with that. And I will talk to you soon.